You are listening to the Fresh Take Network. Now we move on to the fifth team in our history of F1 series, and today we're talking about the Aston Martin Aramco Formula One team. Now, these guys, for the teams that we'll be covering, are definitely the newest of the 10 teams. This specific team was formed in 2021. Their home base is Silverstone, UK. The chassis that they run is the AMR23. The power unit that they have, they are sponsored by Mercedes, so it's a very, very reliable power unit, which is fantastic. And to date, they've got zero world championships. They've got one pole, zero fastest laps, and top finish for the entire team is within the top three. Drivers as they stand right now is number 14, Fernando Alonso, who has come over from Alpine from 2022. And then Lance Stroll, who has been with uh, the Aston Martin team since their inception. Aston Martin as a company, uh, they've also been around in the racing you know, world since uh, 1959. That was their very first Formula One entry. It was the Dutch Grand Prix. They also succeeded that with the 1960 entry as well. Unfortunately for Aston Martin back in the day, between those two seasons, they were only able to start six races. They only completed five, and they essentially just dropped off the face of the earth as far as Formula One is concerned until their reinstatement in 2021. In 2021, they finished sixth in the Constructor Series and then a very respectable seventh in the 2022 Series. The team has a grand total of 132 points as it sits to date right now. Now, as far as the Aston Martin team as we know it now, that's essentially the entire history of it. But to understand where Aston Martin is going, you have to understand where they've come from. So let's go over a little bit of history of it. Starting with back in 2007, there was a new kid on the block midway through the season and it was called... uh, Force India F1 team. Now, this team was formally MF1 in 2006 and the only American racing team, Jordan, from 1991 to 2005. So, halfway through the season, they were bought by a consortium because they were in severe financial difficulty. So, you're thinking, okay, this is made up of two or three different teams. They're going to do really, really well. They've been bought. They're going to be successful. They're going to start racking up the points and taking everybody by storm. But in their inaugural season in 2007 and 2008, they failed to score absolutely zero points. They did make severe improvements. They were no longer the back of the grid, but management made the uh, restructuring call to essentially fire everybody in the main office. And then their co-owner became their team principal and they had a technical tie up with McLaren. So that would mean that they came at an impasse that, Force India wanted certain specs on the engine and McLaren were not able to produce it or were unwilling to give them the upgrades because it would give them an advantage. Some of the rules back in the day in Formula One let a power unit provider, you know, hold back essentially a little bit. So that's when they officially switched to Mercedes power unit for the next season, which would be the 2009 series, which would see a much improved uh, Force India F1 team. Uh, by way of their very first pole and points and podium in Belgium. 
But unfortunately, just like in the history of Formula One that we've seen for these teams that don't really have a solid background or a solid management you know, structure, uh, they regularly made it into qualifying three, but would fade somewhat in the midseason. Essentially, they would lose to you know BMW, Salba. They would lose to Williams. And by the end of the season, they were seventh in the constructors table, which wasn't too bad, uh, especially because there's still 10 teams. But the point difference between Air uh, Force India and let's say Williams and Salba were, you know, a little bit too substantial to overcome and extremely disappointing for these guys. By 2011 and 2012, these guys were pulling fourth and fifth place finishes and earning solid points in Belgium, Singapore, and all the and the races that they really should be winning in Brazil, um, leading most of those races, but still due to performance issues and for the fact that they didn't have. You know, they didn't have the most developed car. They spent more money on the power unit and just poor management in general gave them a car which looked great, but wasn't really functional. 2012, 2013, they're still getting sixth in Monaco. They're scoring points on the regular basis. However, they're still they're still not maintaining this pace. Mid-season, they start to ultimately fall in the standings from 5th to 6th in the standings, 6th to, you know, to 7th, 7th to 8th, and they just kept plummeting down. By 2014, these guys really had found their, you know, they're, they're the mid-grid pace. They are what's called the best of the rest. They're scoring points in Bahrain. They're scoring points in Monaco, and it's not just, you know, 8th or ninth. Like, we're talking couple of podiums we're talking about fifth or sixth place standings um they hit sixth in 2014 narrowly missing it by two points to the mclaren who got fifth in the constructor standings but in this in this time you would see some legendary drivers that you see to this day sign up for this team mainly checo perez he cut his teeth through force india he learned the ways of the V10s. He learned the ways of the V6s and just he he cut his teeth with a very, very mid-grid team that couldn't do anything substantial, but were still, you know, trying to punch above their weight class, essentially. By 2015, Force India had signed another name that most people will recognize that has become almost a, a legend and a figurehead in Formula One, and that was Nico Hulkenberg. In 2015, these guys again claimed another fifth place constructor standing for the team and they're scoring points again they're beating ferrari and williams in places like russia and monaco and they're scoring the most points that they have since 2008 now you see this now you start to see this team gather that momentum that they desperately needed but they definitely earned the hard way by 2016 the team's championship rise continues as they move past williams finally in 2016 and claim fourth place in the constructors standings perez and hulkenberg again proved that fast and reliable driving combination they were winning podiums in monaco and azerbaijan and again in russia really places that the higher end teams generally call home that they dominate every single year so it was fantastic to see these guys start to come into their own finally. 2017, Nico Hulkenberg decides to move on. So, who's Checo Perez's new uh, new protege beside him now? And it is the very well-established now Esteban Ocon. This driver lineup for these guys just kept getting better and better and better and better. And it was 
a proving ground for future championships that if you could you know win and if you could survive in force india that you were definitely going to be a reckoning later on in the year and later on in your career as well but like all things some things are too good to be too good to be true and too good to last in 2018 by this point uh esteban ocon and checo perez they what they like to race each other more than like they like to race other teams they were more concerned about who's going to be the first driver who's going to be the second driver and who is going to do better than the other guy compared to just getting points for the team by 2018 they only accumulated 59 points uh by august which is well past the mid-season mark um the team was on a downward spiral as it was there was a ton of financial uncertainty so they were losing engineers they were losing um management left right and center because no one knew if they were going to get paid if there was even going to be a team next year and all that kind of stuff and it really came down to the co-owner of the team it ended up being a court issue that he was allegedly and i'm using massive air quotations he was allegedly embezzling money to pay for the formula one team it's kind of like he's taking from Paul to pay Peter that he had massive loans out and that he was in so much debt that he had to sell his, uh, he had to sell force India uh, to another consortium, which was uh, run by Lawrence Stroll. So 2018, the consortium headed by Lawrence Stroll took over. They changed the name to racing point. uh, And this is where some of the controversy, you may recognize the name racing point. It has been brought up once or twice in the podcast before. This is the team that had the controversy of becoming what's known as the pink Mercedes. These guys, you know, they had brake duct, they essentially copied brake duct designs, which you wouldn't think seems like a big deal, but it really is an F1. They were, you know, more aerodynamic. They were less weight. There were a couple of other issues as well on the car that the FIA and the other F1 teams had massive issues with. By 2019, Esteban Ocon had left uh, the what is now known as Racing Point, and now we've got another driver to hang out with Checo Perez. We all know him now as the Aston Martin driver of Lance Stroll. Uh, he, you know, he didn't he didn't necessarily earn his spot in Racing Point. I think it was given to him as a proving ground. He had gone through Formula 2 and Formula 3 and so on and so forth. He had proven himself as a solid driver and the opportunity came up for him to drive essentially for his dad and obviously he he jumped at the opportunity. He's been Lance Stroll has been with Racing Point since, you know, the beginning of Racing Point and now obviously into into Aston Martin. Whether you think he deserves to keep his seat in Aston Martin just for the way he's been driving the last couple of years, I will leave that discussion for another day. Now, Racing Point would officially be replaced and would be no more coming into the 2021 season, as we all know, as it would just happen to be that Lawrence Stroll is one of the major co-owners of Aston Martin Racing, or just Aston Martin in general, and he was, uh, I don't want to say he needed to convince some people, but it was a very easy buy for aston martin to come in they bought out racing point and we know them now as aston martin racing as it is uh they've got 50 entries uh they've got 98 starts they've got out of 99 entries essentially for you know both cars i mean it's it's been a very wishwashy history for aston martin um 
being as Aston Martin is now, like I said, 2021, they got seventh in the standings. Uh, so their only pole uh, would be Sebastian Vettel's podium in Azerbaijan. They got uh, highest was fifth in Monaco. Then we're looking at 2022. They got seventh in the standings again. Now, all of a sudden, Vettel decides to retire, and then they've got Fernando Alonso as a replacement. Now, this may seem like a fantastic idea on paper, but Fernando Alonso has a tendency to be it's my way or the highway, and he's not really, I don't want to say he's not nice, as some of the reports from the paddock have come, but he's very no-nonsense when it comes to his other driver, and I really think that this is what Aston Martin needs, that Lance Stroll needs a little bit of a, a kick in the butt going, yeah, this is your daddy's team, but you need to start performing. Because I mean, the way that he's been driving, it's been okay, but it's not to the caliber that I think anybody in Aston Martin really expected him to be at. They expected him to be much, much higher than he personally is now. So Aston Martin, as it stands, they are what you would consider the best of the rest kind of team where they're not in the top five, but they have the ability to be in the top five, if not the top three, when it comes to you know, the 2023 standings. I think Fernando Alonso is going to bring massive help to the team. If Lance Stroll decides to listen, I think it's only going to be for the benefit. I also think that his time is officially, his grace period's up in that organization that he needs to start proving himself more and more opposed to, well, it's dad's team. I'm going to get away with a little bit more here and there. I don't have to produce as many points. I think that time is officially over. And if you're interested in watching the live reveal of the Aston Martin ARM22, they will be doing it on February 13th. I should say, sorry, the ARM23. Uh, again, February 13th, I, there's no time released yet. You'll We will find out that information closer to the day of so probably the 11th or 12th they'll let it uh sneak out i would still look to twitter aston martin formula one definitely does have a twitter presence so i would definitely look to that to find out when and what time and if you can watch it online or if they're just going to release pictures anything along that line definitely some good information now speaking of the amr 22 I'm going to tell you like I have for everybody else what the name of the cars actually mean. So coming into the 2023 season, you're looking at the AMR 23. Aston Martin has kept it ridiculously simple for people to understand. The AMR stands for Aston Martin Racing. Now, depending on which series you're looking at, the 21, 22, or 23, either way, the numbers themselves stand for the two digits of the current year. So last year was the AMR 22. This year will be the AMR 23. I like this. It's simple. It's straightforward. It's a promotion of the team. It's an easy way to keep track of statistics and to compare models from one year to the next. They do not believe in half measures as in you're not going to ever see the AMR 23 B, C, or D. It's just going to be the 23 until the 24 season. And then it's going to be the AMR 24. It's as simple as that. Well, folks, there you have it. That is the history of the Aston Martin F1 team. As jumbled and unfortunate as it may be in the history of the team, the future definitely looks bright for this team. Join me next time where we talk about the sixth team and the history of F1, and we're going to look at the McLaren F1 team. Talk to you.
Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, all you wonderful, wonderful F1 fans out there. If you're hearing my voice, that can only mean two things. One, my name is Kelsey, and two, you're listening to the newest episode of F101. And as always, we're going to start off this episode with the Hot Topics. And in this case, Hot Topics is brand new car reveals, or at least the teams would have us believe that these are brand new cars. So to keep you updated, Haas has shown us the brand new car for 2023. Red Bull has shown us the brand new car for 2023, or at least parts of it. And as of this morning, Williams also revealed their new car for the 2023 season. Now, some of these are good. Some of these are bad. If you've never seen a car reveal and you're kind of interested in what it is, it's a breakdown like this. So you pick your favorite team and you find the date that it's going to be revealed. Now, to watch these car reveals, you're going to have to stream. They're never shown live on any kind of network television. It's not on ESPN. It's not on F1 TV. It's not on, you know, CBC or any of the major television networks. You are going to have to stream it now. The best thing about this is if you follow any of the F1 teams on Twitter, social media in general, Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff, they do let you know a couple of days before the reveal, there's massive hype 2023 car or the 2024 car, depending on what year, you know, what year you're going to watch And this year, obviously is the 2023. So Williams this morning, for example, it was at seven o'clock our time, 7 a.m. So you would go on to their Twitter um, Twitter page, and they would have a link. You click it, and it's a live broadcast of the reveal. Now, most teams, if not all teams, don't just go straight to showing you the car and telling you all about it. It's a huge production. There's song and dance and lights and interviews and sometimes good hosts and sometimes really, really, really bad hosts. Red Bull, I'm talking to you about that one. And by the end of it, and it can be anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour and a half, you will see the 2023 car. Now, it's supposed to be that they get the sh- you see the brand new car for 2023 along with the new paint job, also known as delivery. A lot of these teams, especially this year, have they say they're showing you the new car, but in real in, in reality, especially with Haas and Williams, they showed you the new paint job and some pieces of a new car. Uh, there's a ton of pictures up online, especially comparing 2022 to 2023 cars. You can see slight changes here and there. Red Bull, on the other hand, they were they showed their car on the third. They showed pretty much the exact same car as last year, just a different paint job. They made everybody think that they were revealing the 2023 specs. Anything that was new, any kind of new aerodynamic showcase any like fancy new developments all this and that and really what they did was a massive and very painful to watch show and dance for an hour and a half to show a car that looked exactly the same as last year the paint's a little bit newer and i mean i dare you to find a difference between the paint this year and last year there are the same sponsored logos on there uh it was it's kind of a waste of time in this case Some teams, like Mercedes, Mercedes is really good for this. They will show you 
the new color of the car and they will actually show you what they'll be testing a couple of days or a couple of weeks later before the 2023 season. You see almost a 100% finished car. Mercedes generally does this because they are either the last car to show or they're the second last car out of the 10 teams. So a lot of other teams will watch other cars, uh, other car reveals and, you know, try to get little secrets and tips and tricks and all that kind of stuff, which kind of takes away from the fans aspect of it because you want to see the new car, especially if it's advertised as the brand new car, as uh, Red Bull did for sure and did not deliver whatsoever, but we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, Williams and, and Haas, they revealed and they had stated it was the 2023 car and livery. So it gives a little bit more gray area going. You're going to see the new colors, see the new uh, paint scheme. In this case, for Williams, they had a brand new announcement that Golf Oil is going to be one of their brand new sponsors. So you could see the new sticker, the new decal on there. They revealed that they are going to be uh, the new sponsorships for 2023 to 2026, all that kind of fun stuff. It makes sense. Haas, same thing. You saw a brand new color scheme. And it's not going to be the exact same color scheme for the entire season. Now, these guys a lot like to go back and forth and paint the cars several times, depending if it's an anniversary year or if they're going like for Red Bull when they go to uh, Japan. They always do a very special paint job because of Honda, all that kind of fun stuff. So at least it's the general color of the vehicle this year. So let's break these three teams down. Haas, everyone, they were the first ones out of the bag. January 31st, we're expecting a spectacular reveal. They've got new sponsorship, new money. It's going to be a brand new car. What do you got? What are you going to show me? I can't wait to, to see Gunter Steiner describe the car. You meet the drivers. They talk. They interview. All that kind of stuff. 7 o'clock came. 7 o'clock went. Everyone's like, live reveal. We're waiting for it. We're waiting for it. Uh, Haas's version of a live reveal was two pictures that were sent out on social media at 7.15. That was it. There were a couple of spec pieces put in, and essentially it was just an advertisement for the new car with the new color. That was it. No other caption, no interviews, no nothing. So to say it was underwhelming is an understatement. Um, kind of disappointed in Haas, but at the same time, they never revealed this early. I know they're proud of it, and I personally can't wait to see what they come up with in a couple of weeks for testing and then when the actual race comes along because then you're really going to see what the car actually looks like and f1 tv does an amazing job of breaking down each team and what you've actually seen on the racetrack to what's different to the improvements and it gives a a speck of the vehicle before the race which is fantastic so haas comes out a couple of pictures they do have some new parts on the car uh, you can see the chassis over the power unit is a little bit different. It's a little bit more aerodynamic. There's a slightly shorter fin on the back. The front wing is a little more shapely. It's a little more aerodynamic. It looks like it's going to create more downforce for the vehicle itself. Everything else, it kind of got blended in with the paint job, which I think was meant to be like that, according to you know Haas F1. Like You can't see a whole lot of detail because they do want to save most of it for when the car is actually revealed for live testing and for the actual race, because they were the first team. Fast forward, 
Three days later, it's the third. It's Red Bull. They are revealing, and they had advertised it as they're revealing the RB19. So the Red Bull car number 19. Okay. So you're expecting this amazing, spectacular reveal. The uh, live stream started at 7 o'clock on time. Now, this is these are European times, obviously. So for us in North America, you're going to have to get up early. Um, perfect example, Alfa Romeo is revealing tomorrow morning. But we in North America, if we want to see this live on the Alfa Romeo website or off their live stream from Twitter, you have to be up at 2 a.m. Because it's it's central time, it's European middle of the day. So if you want to watch it live, you got to be up at two a.m. Which personally, I'm not doing that. I will wait for kind of like the review to see the car to give the specs and my thoughts. But that's the kind of timeline that you're looking at. So Red Bull's on time. It's great. You've got a couple of hosts. One's a, a NASCAR host. The other host, I'm not sure where this person's credentials come from. It's this big song and dance. They're in New York. They got a bunch of Red Bull athletes. Nothing to do with Formula One at all. Essentially, it was a gigantic corporate suck up to Red Bull and to make it be like, oh, yeah, the U.S. loves Red Bull. They're super important to Formula One. Let's just jam this time full of useless, and I mean absolutely useless interviews with four athletes that, to be all honest, nobody gives a shit. You're watching a Formula One car reveal. I don't want to listen to a snowboarder. I don't want to listen to someone who skateboards. I don't give a shit. And especially because the interview is absolutely horrible. It's not the athlete's fault per se. Because these kids, they're kids, 19, 18, 17 years old. They are still learning how to be the quintessential media athlete interviews. It's, it's practice makes perfect, right? So they're doing the best they can. The interviewer is absolutely horrible, not asking the right questions asking the same question over and over again. It was just, it was the worst 20 minutes of the entire hour and a half that I have ever been through. And you could see the numbers of the live stream just drop in that 20 minutes. They lost a hundred thousand viewers. And yes, I said a hundred thousand because at the peak, they hit 300,000 people streaming at one time and they were down to 150 by that point. By the time these interviews came around, it was, it was it was painful. It also took way too long. An hour and a half for a car reveal is is unacceptable and unnecessary. You don't need it to be this long. Williams this morning was 20 minutes, and that included interviews, and that included the reveal of the car and talking about the car. You don't need an hour and a half that Red Bull took. A lot of lights, a lot of glamour. Uh, the best part of it was not even seeing the car. It was the interview when they were talking to Max Checo and Daniel, the three drivers, and then they were talking to Christian Horner, just revealing what they had gone through over the winter to get ready for the upcoming season. What's new on the car, what they haven't changed, what they're most excited about the upcoming season. And then they topped it all off with, they are announcing that Ford Moto company is coming in for 2026 to be the new power unit sponsor with Red Bull. They are teaming up once again, they have done this in the past, but it was in the mid-90s, if I do remember correctly. But that was the major announcement for Red Bull's you know, car reveal, which it wasn't a brand new car reveal. It was just a brand new paint job. It was a different type of blue. That's essentially what it was. You saw, if you looked really, really, really closely, you maybe could see something different on the car. But I'm sure at that, at that point, you're just 
telling yourself it's something new because you're looking for something new. I like Haas's reveal over Red Bull. It was simple. It was to the point. Red Bull wasted everybody's time. An hour and a half. You don't need that long. Uh, the car wasn't special. It wasn't even up front and center. It was in the back behind a screen. They revealed it. Yay, sparklers go off. And then you've got the two hosts, the three drivers, and Christian Horner standing in front of the car. Like, okay, so what was the point in even showing us this car for 45 seconds just for you guys to stand in front of it? And then they thanked everybody, revealed that Ford was coming, talked to the, I think he was the CEO of Ford Motor Company, and that was it. We're done. Okay, so that was time out of my life that I'm really, really never going to get back. And then you move to this morning, you've got Williams. Williams livery reveal and they told you it was a livery reveal, so you're looking more for the color than the shape of the car. It was absolutely fantastic. It was 20 minutes long. Uh, the host was Will Buxton. If you listen to Formula One or watch Formula One on TV, or you watch it on Formula One, like uh, Formula One TV, like the app, or you watch Formula One on TV through ESPN or TSN or that kind of stuff. You've heard his voice before. He is also the face of Drive to Survive. He is the, you know, the commentary that gives you the stories behind the story. So he did the interview. It was amazing. He interviewed uh, Williams' female driver, uh, Jamie Chadwick. That was amazing. That was like a solid five-minute interview. She won the Women's Series last year. So, you know, where are you going this year? What are you looking forward to most? What do you think about the brand new car? And it wasn't a lot of pomp and circumstance. It was the two of them sitting down having a heart-to-heart live interview, and it was great. He then moves on to interview the Formula eSport winners who were driving for Williams. So he talked to the three guys that did that. Again, what was the best part of your season? What are you looking forward to this season? You know, what can you work on? Again, heart to heart, on point interview. Great questions, fantastic answers, really heartfelt, really down to earth. Then Will moved on. He talked to the drivers. He talked to Logan Sargent and Alex Albon. You know, again, you've seen the car live. What do you think? What do you think of this year? What do you think of last year? Like last year, what can you improve on this year? Like really on point questions. That didn't take forever. And then there was the big reveal of the car. And it was great. The car looks fantastic. You can see the upgrades that Williams has really done to the car itself. Most notably, you're going to see the nose piece. From previous years, it was more of a a rounded shape. Almost a a cone, if you will. This year, they've gone, gone, I don't want to say the Mercedes way, but they've gone the way that most Mercedes car design has been and it's a rounded flat nose so you can start to see that everybody that williams has brought over from mercedes are starting to have the influence on that team to upgrade their car to make it look better to make it perform better it was an amazing it was amazing reveal the car looks great it looks on point i still expect williams to be in you know the top seven top six for the constructor series this year and that's that's how it's essentially going to go for the rest of the month. Like I said, Alfa Romeo is tomorrow morning at 2 a.m., which is a little early for me, but that is that is what it is. You got a couple day break, and then all of a sudden you go into three or four more teams that are just back to back to back to back to back. There's a couple of teams that are on the exact same day, and this is all over Valentine's Day too. 
So time it accordingly. Don't mess up your home plans, but definitely make sure that you are able to find the team that you like to watch or that you think you might be a fan of. And I highly recommend finding their Twitter page, seeing what time that they're going to reveal their cars, watch it live. It is an experience. You get to learn something about the driver, about the new cars, and what they're coming up for the 2022 season. I mean, 2022.